Angrily spritzing my orchids and bellowing into the night, I'm Jasmine. Ready to pay dirt and crank to the max, I'm Mel's. Welcome to Damn Fine TV's Twin Peaks Rewatch. This week we're covering Season 2, Episode 6, sometimes known as Demons, or as we're calling it, Beauties and Beasts. Listeners, restless nights and uneasy sleep comes with the territory, but we assure you that mind, body, and spirit are up to the task. Now let's rock. This episode first aired on November 3rd, 1990. It was written by Harley Payton and Robert Ingalls and directed by Leslie Linka Gladder. Episode six. Hey, you know what? Not a bad episode, in my opinion. Um, It actually went by pretty quick. I noticed that the scenes were shorter, like yeah. last week. So that probably I maybe helped in some way because we jumped around a bit. And I was like, okay, so now we're over to this plot. Now we're over to this one. Um, I can't say it's one of my favorites. I not. I don't want to say not a lot happened because there was one big thing that happened in this episode that I was screaming like, yay to the entire time. But I feel like overall, it was just kind of like, okay, well, you know, here we are. Let's just kind of wrap up a few loose ends and then we'll move on to the next thing that's coming up after that little bit of a cliffhanger at the end of the episode. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I totally get what you mean. I, I'm struggling. I I enjoyed it. Overall, I enjoyed it. It's, um, we're definitely, I think last week I said we're going uphill, but then I decided that was a bad thing, but we're on the upswing. Is that the right way to say it? I don't know. We had that real stinker (laughs) in Laura's Secret Diary, but since then, I feel like things have been slowly getting better. But another great opening. I think it had good pacing. We get a great new character introduction. There's some intriguing conversations. So I'm excited. I'm excited to dive in. Okay, let's dive into this week's Damn Fine Facts. Of course, we got the date tracker. Uh, We are picking up on the evening of Tuesday, March 7th, and then we move into Wednesday, March 8th. Let's talk about Vicuna, which is the, they found some fiber from a Vicuna coat in the carpet. I think Albert had talked about he went into the carpet and tried to pick out some fibers to get more info on Coop's uh, shooter. And so a vicuna is a relative of the llama. Oh, no, you did not. I'm going to be so pissed if that llama shot Coop because I'm going to tell you that stare off between the two of them. I got some weird vibes. Foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so yeah, so this vicuna, this animal, it's a relative of the llama and they are used for their wool. It's a very, very expensive type of wool because they can only be shorn every few years and they only give off a very small amount of wool every time. Um, And it's a quite popular wool because it's so warm and I guess also very soft. So it has like these aesthetic qualities, but also practical qualities. These animals, I think, are endangered at this point, though they're working on bringing them back to like a good population. But like in 2013, it was about 20,000 for a coat. (gasps) Oh my gosh. So, uh, and back in the day, this kind of wool was only worn by royalty. 
My point being, I think we can start to think about like who might be rich enough in Twin Peaks to even own a Vicuna coat or anything well, like a scarf. I think he does say coat though, right? So the full coat, does. that's really expensive. So hmm, that's where that's where our brains can start moving. Okay. All right. So we've got the Vicuna down stat. Yes. And the next and final damn fine fact is also from our good friend, our new good friend, Gordon Cole. Uh, when he talks about the haloperidol, I just wanted to know more about what that was used for, what kind of drug that was. And basically, it's used in treatment of schizophrenia and hallucinations, among other things. And I really wanted to know what the other, quote unquote, really weird stuff was but they don't make any mention of it. And I even checked in some scripts and stuff and there's no mention of any of the other, any of the other chemicals that were involved because I really wanted to look into that. But anyways. Very interesting. Damn fine facts. Those are some damn fine facts. And I will tell you, I, (laughs) this is so bad. I knew what halpaderidol, don't ask me, that's not how you say it. I, I am, listen, if anybody is on TikTok and you want to ever get all those <laughs> videos where it is a, a doctor reenacting conversations with patients where they're like, I take this medication and they say it all wrong. And the doctor's like, right. So you're talking about this. Well, that's totally me because anytime <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you got any of that help a Deborah that I'm supposed to have? <laughs> and they're just like, oh God, what is it being treated for, ma'am? Because they know me at the pharmacy, okay? Um, But not from personal experience do I know about this drug, but only because I really started looking into it. Because one time in my life, I was very serious. I thought about going into psychology and things like that. And I did not go to school for this, just so you all know, obviously. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but I was always interested in what drugs treated, like, you know, what illnesses or whatever, you know, that person might be experiencing. And so I knew that that was used for schizophrenia and hallucinations, which on the surface would appear what the one-armed man needs because that's, it's almost like you see him transition into another personality, which is schizophrenia. Exactly. Yeah. And like I said, it's among other things that that drug is used for, but those were the two that really stuck out to me that they were being used to, that, that it was being used for. So that's why I highlighted those. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, Harold is still confronting Donna and Maddie when James saves the day, sorta, I guess, leaving Harold to break down alone with his orchids. <laughs> Poor Aww. Harold. This is such a good opening scene. I mean, yeah. it made sense that we picked up right where we left off. I mean, how could you not? But this is so intense. It's kind of scary, I think. It's it's a little sad, especially, I mean, your reaction right there. It kind of says it all. Like, uh, the way he bellows into the night when everybody has left him. I mean, I laugh when I see that moment, but I'm also filled with, like, a lot of emotion for this character. Like, I actually feel for him. And the actor, I think, is doing everything, probably, that that he's meant to. Like, I don't know. He's just doing such a good job in that moment. Yes, yes, and bless his heart. I mean, gosh, I, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna it, it he's gonna have a soft spot in my heart forever from now on. Yeah. Like I, I'm just seeing it like I said last time, I just through a totally different lens, and I'm just like, you fucking knuckleheads, leave this guy alone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. Harold needs a he needs a real friend, and oh, it just makes me so sad. But I love the opening shot. Um, I love Kind of like in the 
other episode with the them coming out of the tile, right? And you're just kind of... Yeah. But I, I love these shots where it's like... Because at first you're like, what are you looking at here? It looks like one of those um, kaleidoscope things a at vagina. first. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was a vagina-themed kaleidoscope. Was, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, which I thought was odd. Oh, wait, it's an orchid. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I love those those uh, shots where you're pulling yeah. back from like yeah. something very centered, you know, yes. a, a focal yeah. point. Those are really intriguing to me. But... Man, like he was just given he was given Maddie and Donna the business and and rightfully so. And then here comes James to save the day. <laughs> it's so like, oh, my God. Talk about perfect timing. That felt uh-huh. very television to me for James to walk in at just that exact moment. So that was kind of interesting. And then the way that he like he grabs Maddie first and then Donna. So what Thank you like what? <laughs> Okay, I literally have in my notes, he only grabs Maddie at first, LOL. I don't know why. I don't know why I feel the need to dictate LOL in my own notes. I write haha anyway. in my own notes, oh, so, okay. you know. And then when it cuts back, it's like, oh, well, here's my little grab onto my good hand, Donna. You know what I mean? Like, I'll try to pull you out of this situation. But he's like full, like, you know, Harlequin romance hero with Maddie. And I'm just like, okay, James, favoritism yeah, much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. I ha- James grabs Maddie and then Donna. Ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I propose we do is that we put together a damn fine secret diary where it's nothing but our <gasps> notes. Because <laughs> we and both have notebooks, just, like handwritten yes, notes too. Yeah. Yes. And then just let everyone go down the mysterious minds of Jasmine and Mel. <laughs> Ooh, that's going to be on the Patreon one day, guys. Wink, wink. Oh, you know what I did want to say, actually, before I move on? I totally forgot to say this. The, the way that he, like, is bellowing, groaning, screaming, whatever that is, it's very reminiscent of Bob at the end of, uh, I think it's episode one of season two, when he's in the train car and he lets out that sort of bellowing scream laugh kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's very like an animalistic. Similar. Yes, yeah. yes. And yeah, I, I, Like, I do wonder if it's because I think he's behind the glass in that scene, so it's like that's distorting his sound or something. But yeah, I was so... It was so reminiscent of the Bob, the Bob Howell, the Bowel. The no, bo- the Bowel. <laughs> oh gosh, the Bellow Bowel. That's what we'll yeah. call it from now. Some on. words aren't meant to mix. It's fine. <laughs> well, Cooper brings Audrey back safely, and she pulls through as her prayers have been answered. Oh, oh, oh my prayers! I prayed for you. I'm sorry. Listen. <laughs> All right. It. I get it. Yeah. Coop is hot. Let's just, we're, yeah. nobody is denying that, okay? Nope. Like, I would be having a teenage schoolgirl crush on him as well. 100%. But I'm not going to lie. In this moment, I was like, all right, Audrey, let's, you, yes, he saved you from what you got yourself into at One-Eyed Jags, which may, may I remind everyone, it's not that she was, like, kidnapped and taken up there. But I don't know. It just... It does something weird with me where I'm like, I don't want this. I don't know what it is about it, but I'm just like, no, thank you. I'll pass. It's so much like that scene when she was doing the praying at One-Eyed Jacks, and she sort of, I don't know. I think it's because we're so used to seeing Audrey so in charge and so empowered and so uh, just like confident in her own skin that when 
when she actually acts like what her age is or when she gets like a little vulnerable, it's just really weird to see her in that role. And sometimes I think whether it's direction or whether it's Sherilyn Fenn's choice, it's a little too played up. And it doesn't necessarily, it just doesn't always hit the mark for me. Like, I feel like it's a little too put on in a way. Like, the some of the dialogue was really haunting to me. Like, tongue so heavy, hand on my throat, sinking, and she's freaking out. Like, some of that was really powerful. Or when she's talking about, like, it seems like she's remembering when her dad was visiting the new girl and she uh-huh. was like, daddy, can you see me or or whatever it was? And the music was very similar. But so all of that part was really haunting. And I think she does a good job with that. But then with the Cooper stuff, it's like, eh, whatever, uh, let's move on. I totally agree. I mean, I, I felt very bad for her. I mean, everything that she's been through, I'm not going to put that down. And yes, she no, got herself into course, it, but yeah. that does not mean she deserved anything that she got no. there. Yeah, it it hurt my heart to hear her saying those things. You know, like, Daddy, can you see me? It hurt my heart because I thought, oh, my gosh, is this the inner child still wanting some protection or something from her dad? Even though we know it to maybe be, well, I saw you through the mask, you know, when you were coming in the room. I mean, it's very obvious there. But also, like, is it some of her inner child speaking out, too? Mm. I get very, I just go down those types of, like, things in my mind because I'm like that inner child will when you're very vulnerable that inner child will speak out for you and sometimes it, it sure. comes out and things like that and what they need you know like you should hug your inner child every day yeah everybody. but that feels more realistic than the stuff yeah. with Coop like what you're I, right. I didn't think about it in those terms but that makes perfect sense now that you're outlining it but the way that she acts with Coop it's like it's too babyish it just doesn't right. make sense Okay, where did he take her? Because I, is this the bookhouse boys? Oh, I think boys? it's the bookhouse, yeah. Okay, so all of a sudden, all the bookhouse boys drive motorcycles? I, I don't yeah, know. Like of it course. Was, okay, <laughs> all right. I'll just take it for what it is because well, I really was like, where are you taking her? With It's like a biker club. But then I'm like, it's just Harry Hawk and Cooper in there. I think ramen noodle hair was there. Oh, okay. I must have missed him. Uh, but he's like in the background. Okay. I think. Okay. All right. James goes daddy mode and scolds Donna for playing games with Harold's heart. But in the end, it's just you and me. And I had <laughs> planned on I had planned on singing that, but I believe I will spare, y- spare y'all this week of that. Okay. <laughs> Which song? Because I thought quit playing games with <laughs> Harold's heart. Well, with Harold's I mean that orchid with Harold's heart. <laughs> You gotta stop. Oh, yeah. No, I'll sing that one. But I was talking about, I was going to sing you and me. And then I was like, not today. (laughs) Not today, Satan. (laughs) Not today, Satan. (laughs) Goodbye, banish you from my memory. Okay. So, yeah, James kind of is like, Donna, what the fuck? Like, you can't be doing shit like this, you know? Like, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. For once, I agree with James. I'm on his side. Like, she deserved to be told those things. Um, And she does break down. She does talk about, you know, how she just wants to know what what if he killed her? What if he's involved in what happened with Laura? And those are legitimate concerns to have about your best friend. But these are not the ways that you go about doing it because... Like we've talked about before, you just cannot, like, Harold is just not James or Bobby. Harold is just not 
another person that's easy to manipulate it. And then this is the outcome of that. I mean, what he did in the last episode, you know, that was scary shit. And yeah. I can't imagine as a 17 to 18 year old girl being like, oh, God, am I going to make it out of this alive? Because this is not a side that you've seen of Harold, but it is a side of Harold, you know, mm-hmm. and you pushed him to that point. So I, I say round of applause to you, James, for being the um, for once being the smartest one in the group. <laughs> Well, low bar, but sure. I I mean, I agree. And I think Donna's finally talking some sense of like, he could have killed her. We have to go to the sheriff, yada, yada, yada. But then, but then James has to say like the weirdest, cheesiest shit. And it's like, I don't know. I wrote it down. If we could put our hearts together and keep them that way forever, we'd be safe no matter what. And I'm like, James, you just need to get yourself a best friend's necklace and never tear it in half. Like, that's (laughs) the only way you're going to get that, my friend. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Listen, uh, yeah, it was fragmented. The moments of him making sense were fragmented with the moments of this as well, where I'm like, uh, okay, not... But not, I do, not, a, not right. Like, I do wonder, though, if we were teenage girls watching this when it first came out, would that get us? Because there is something kind of sweet about what he's saying. It's just, to me, it comes off as like, oh, my God, that's like, real, like, you just, uh, this is like a four cheese dip. It's too much. Like, <laughs> not a four cheese dip. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be honest because... As okay, as an adult rewatching Buffy, first of all, it still holds water. I love it. Like I still get very excited at certain parts that are never coming. Yep. I I still get those feelings of like badass chick in charge. You know what I mean? Like she's gonna save the day. But there are moments of dialogue between like her and Angel. Thank you. Mo- mostly between her and Angel, where yes. I'm like, oh my god, or that, her and like, Riley. Get, I think sometimes like it's just yeah, yeah it's a bit sappy. And I'm like, wow, I can fully remember myself being like, why can't I find an angel? Oh, okay. See, I know you had a thing for David Boreanaz back then, but like angel never got me. I, I've always been a spike girl. He's not even that attractive. He's just a bad boy. We all know well, I'm attracted to the bad boys. We all know your type. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I will say this, that when Spike did come on the scene, I did become a Spike girl, but yeah. just there in those moments where it was just Angel and Buffy, I was always like, oh my gosh, he is, <gasps> he's a good vampire. Right. You know, spo- yeah. Spoilers, yeah. spoilers. But anyway, yeah. So <laughs> if I was watching this much, much younger, perhaps in that time period also, that might've got my goose, but I don't right. get it now. So yeah. no. <laughs> Um, And I feel like it's not working for Donna in a certain way as well, because James goes in for a kiss and she just sort of pushes him to her neck. Yeah. So I don't know if that was like a a thing with the actors, like things changed between seasons and they weren't comfortable doing these scenes anymore. I I know that Laura Flynn Boyle and Kyle MacLachlan dated at some point. So I wonder if this was overlapping and she's like, no, 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 I'm not kissing James Marshall anymore. I don't know. But it (laughs) felt very strange. Cooper and Harry break down Jean's plan, which leaves Coop in a vulnerable and reflective moment. Now, I really liked this scene because, okay, first of all, Harry seems to be back in his senses because he can at least pick Jean out of a lineup. And I'm very happy about that. Welcome back, Harry. Yeah, I I agree. I thought that said so much about his handle on his role in this town. Like, he he just has that knowledge. I loved that scene. It was so simple, such a small beat, but such a good way to show us 
how smart he is, how, uh, yeah, in control of this, I don't know, uh, his position of power that he is, I guess, or something. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I love the way that, well, we, we hear our stands of the Cooper and Harry friendship. Anyway, mm-hmm. it is one of the best, hands down, the best, actually, ever, ever, ever. And I just love the vulnerability between the two of them where Cooper can kind of almost let him in on something that's happened in his past. He doesn't yeah. tell him the full story. We we can tell that he doesn't tell him the full story. Even if you haven't watched the whole series through, you can still tell that he's omitting some things out of it. But just the way he's like, you know, I did this once before and it really caused a lot of trouble and I don't want to be responsible for something like that again. Like it was just a very uncooperistic. <laughs> um, I don't know. That just came to my mind. Uh, <laughs> An uncooperistic moment, right? Because usually he's just very like, okay, like facts led. And it's like, this is what happened. But yet I can do it. Just you saw a different side to Cooper. And I think we've been slowly seeing that as we've been talking throughout these episodes. Anyway, just little bits of a softer and not so linear side of Coop, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I also saw it from the angle of, I know this is a very simplistic thing and all stories should have consequences, but consequences are really important to me in a show. And the fact that Cooper doing all of this vigilante stuff is coming back to bite him a little bit in the butt, uh, it raises the stakes. It makes things real. I'm more invested in him. Not that I didn't love him being a bookhouse boy, but it makes it that much more intriguing. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was a great that was a great scene. Yeah, great music. It. it was super sinister yes. and ominous. I love the comment about Jean being a hell of a lot more dangerous than his brothers. It's a, It was a great scene. Yeah. We all know he's more dangerous than Bernard because Bernard was the first <laughs> one to bite the bullet. I mean, come on. Bite the bullet, baby. Bite the bullet. Cooper's a busy bee. He's now at the Great Northern delivering the briefcase of money to Ben and also letting him know that Audrey's safe. Coop is no fool, though, and he sees right through Ben's charade. Ben is the fucking worst. He counts that money before he even asks. I mean, I don't even think he asks about Audrey. I think it's Cooper that says, uh, your daughter's recovering from a drug overdose. Like, did you want to know more about how she's okay? Or like, you know? And it was so, it was so terrible. Drug overdose? My angel, my darling. You know, it's like, shut up, Ben. I'm glad that you didn't take that as... Because at first I was like, okay, is he concerned? As far as I'm concerned, it's too little too late no matter what. Mm-hmm. But is he, like, is this the the moment for Ben where he's realizing that his daughter does matter to him? I don't know. But I do think in the end, I watched it a couple times. I was like, I think he's playing Cooper. Yeah, he, yeah. absolutely, 100%. And I also think that Cooper is playing him right back. Yeah. I have... I mean, I have in my notes that Cooper's playing him like a fiddle now because it's like, Mm. here's your money. You know, I was able to get that back to you. Pause. Watch Ben's reaction. Yes. Let let me pepper in some facts about your daughter, Audrey. Pause. Take in what he's doing. I love seeing Cooper in that role as well, where he's like, "Uh uh-huh, right. I'm going to catch you. And it's it's sort of the same tone as when he was talking to Shelly in the hospital where he was like, oh, okay, all right, well, if this is what you want, Shelly. Right. You know, but in this situation, you, it's it's obviously a darker, you know, situation that's going on versus, uh, you know, Leo going home for home health care. But I love to see Cooper doing this because Ben is so, like, 
such an airhead, but in but not in a not in a traditional airhead way. It's just like all he cares about is he got his money back, and then somehow Jean was fooled, and that's the end of the day for him. And mm-hmm. uh, and Audrey's an afterthought. And I Blackie, think that could, oh well, Bla- like you Blackie, know, oh yeah. you don't say. Why would she want you know just yeah. that whole interaction? But I love the way that Cooper is you know putting it together. Like mm, okay, there's obviously something else going on here with Ben. You know. Yeah, he's so cold, and yet you can tell that there's, like, a fiery rage happening inside him. Like, Kyle MacLachlan is so good. So good. And I really love the fact that Ben gives him a hug, and Cooper does not even lift a finger. He it's is, like, so stiff as a board. awkward. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so awkward. I, lo- I loved it. But, you know, Ben didn't think twice about that because he was, like, not even— he probably wouldn't have even been aware if Cooper did return the hug to him. You I know? don't think like so. For- no, he's so in his own head. And thinking Absolutely. about it now, actually, his reaction to the drug overdose thing, I wonder if that triggered a memory because I think that we're meant to assume that he got Blackie hooked on heroin, right? So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it's more like, a, oh, that bitch, like she did exactly what I did. Like he's still playing the game. It's more of an affront to him than, oh my God, my daughter has been drugged. Like, Absolutely. I agree. Oh, I hate Ben. Ugh. Well, a sexy, smoking, and suited up Bobby lends Leo a hand getting home. <laughs> Did you like that? I, I loved the, it. <laughs> thought of you the whole time I wrote it. That was for you. <laughs> Shelly and Bobby's get rich quick plan is a, is pretty much shot to shit when they receive a measly 700 bucks to take care of Leo forever and ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Has Bobby never pushed anything before? (laughs) Like, what? Is Leo just that heavy? I mean, is the chair just not constructed well? What is going on here? I mean, it's great physical comedy, but it's so silly. It's so silly. And I'm going to tell you, like, okay, back in the 80s, my mom had a kitchenette, okay? And the kitchenette was like a glass top table, but the chairs had this weird, like, basket wicker weave on the back of them. It was just... Oh, my God. (laughs) It was so 80s, but that is what Leo's chair reminds me of so much. Like yes. every time I see it, all I could think of is like my mom's kitchenette chairs from growing up because we've seen Donna's mom in a wheelchair, like an actual, you know, wheelchair. So I'm just like, why is Leo in this really oddly constructed wheelchair himself? It's just, yeah, I mean... I'm sure, obviously, it's a choice because it's Leo, but it's just so funny because I'm like, oh, that's it. That's my mom's chair. (laughs) (laughs) But it's got wheels. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I feel like they must not have bought the best wheelchair, maybe, or they bought like a middle of the road kind of wheelchair. (laughs) Or I was trying to rationalize it like, oh, maybe this is the kind of chair that somebody would get if they were having in-home care. Like maybe it's easier to move his body from place to place to place. But I was like, but people who are in wheelchairs all the time, like, I mean, that's the same issue. So why? Like, I don't know. It was, uh, yeah, but it, but the pushing and it being so awkward, I think it sets up the whole scene, the whole vibe of it really nicely, because as you said, they're going to find out that this get rich quick scheme is not going to work out. So it's kind of like, it's a bumpy road ahead for all involved. Literally and yes. figuratively. Yeah. Well, I love it, too, because the the guy that's there, I guess, to check everything out and make sure that, you know, Leo's in a good home. Obviously, he lets them know you need to childproof the home, which I found hilarious, but also questioned because how is Leo going to get out of the chair to stick his finger in a socket anyway? But... Spoiler uh, section. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. But yeah, so 
the whole thing, you know, he's like, y'all are so, so gracious to be doing this for him. You're giving him such a great life. And it's just, I love the fact that it's also Eric DeRay just in this chair, yeah. but <laughs> perfectly coiffed as the Leo we know. Like the, the man didn't get a haircut. The man ain't lacking no hair gel. The man, I mean, like, you would think after what he's been through, they'd be like, let's just go ahead and give him a haircut. Let's, you know, let's change his look. Yeah, no. we don't want to have to, like, brush out this ponytail every day and put all the necessary gels in. Like, yeah, let's just buzz him. Who's giving, who's going to style his hair every day? That's the real question here, people. Okay? They need more than $700 a day to do that. Or a month to do that. So, $700 um, a day? I'm in. Now, uh, that, on the other hand, Yeah. But Bobby and Shelly, cousin Bobby, excuse me, yeah. um, and and Shelly are really disappointed when they realize that they, after expenses, taxes, everything else, you can name it, you're not going to get $5,000 a month. And they're just left like, what the hell am I going to do? Yeah. And the whole scene, I mean, that starts to bring in some seriousness, but so does Leo's groan. I think that keeps everything really intense. And it's like, this is a really fun side plot that I think all of the characters involved have good chemistry and there's great dialogue and stuff. But there's this very real threat of Leo too. And that doesn't, and I like the way that the show continues to bring that throughout this episode. Oh yeah. When he was like mumbling a little bit, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like, it's like that scary villain where you're like, are they dead or are they not? Like exactly. at the end of Scream, you know? You're supposed it's to like, shoot oh, them in the head, ooh. stupid. Yes. <laughs> yes. <You laughs> not in my l- movie. <laughs> not in my movie, bitch. <laughs> well, Donna tries to tell um, Harry about the diary, but Harry's there to shut down the team crime squad, okay? Once and for all. Gordon Cole arrives looking for Cooper when Hawk arrives also with the one-armed man. Okay, so yay. We'll yay! just talk a little. Yay! Yay! Oh, gosh. Yes. Like This is the moment I was talking about uh, when I jumped up and I was like, yes, it's happening. Gordon Cole's in the house. We are getting one of the best characters in Twin Peaks history. I love this man. Like, Not as much as Albert, but I do love Gordon. So we'll talk a little bit about basically Donna trying to tell Harry about the secret diary and Harold. And he's just kind of like, all right, the last time y'all meddled into someone's business who didn't ended up not having anything to do with Laura's death, that man had a heart attack and that man is Jacoby. Yeah. So how about you just leave the investigating to us? Uh, But that's when he's, you know, interrupted by this man just (laughs) shouting at the top of his lungs. I love the introduction of Gordon Cole. Everything about him. Oh, I was, I'm just so glad that he's back. I wasn't happy that he said Albert wouldn't be back. I did have to pause and shed a tear. But I, but it's okay because Gordon is an acceptable substitute at this moment. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) I, well, before I uh, fangirl over Gordon Cole, I did just want to say, I totally get why Harry is being dismissive. All of the reasons that you just laid out. But again, I have to wonder why, after learning about these Meals on Wheels people, they're not immediately being questioned. (sighs) That's all I want to say. I think there's a little bit of, you know, information there that Harry could have jumped on. He doesn't have to be so dismissive. But I get it. I get it. Yeah. Now, Gordon Cole. Oh, my God. Uh, This is such a good introduction. I know that we've heard him on the phone before. And so we did get a small snippet or a small idea of who this man is. But He is so immediately present in that moment. He is so immediately Twin Peaks. He is so immediately quirky and strange. 
And I wanted to sit with my thoughts on him for a while because I was like, why is he so quirky and strange? And what is it like? Is it does it have to do with the with the hearing issue? Because maybe I need to unpack that because I don't want to be thinking that this guy is quirky just because he has a hearing issue. Like that doesn't seem right. You know, like that doesn't immediately make you quirky and funny. But it's I don't think it is that. I think it's the way he carries himself. It's the way he talks. It's the way he explains things. It's the way that he is just so unique unto himself. Like, and I think he might be like that with or without the hearing issue. It's just now he yells everything. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's just like when he says, pay dirt, let's get in there. You know, like, I mean, I had to Google what that meant. And I was like, oh, it is a profit or reward. (laughs) I love this. I'm going to start telling everybody pay dirt or get out. You know what I mean? (laughs) But yeah, it's like his, it's his mannerisms. It's his, it's the choice of words he uses. It's the way he puts sentences together. Yeah. And then on top of that, he does have a hearing issue and he has to yell everything with just makes it so much better in my opinion. It's like he's he's just having to amplify the quirkiness because he can't hear. And I love it. Got these things cranked to the max. You're still gonna have to speak up. <laughs> the look on Harry's face was like, what has just happened here? And yeah, the 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 look on Harry's face, the way he has to recalculate things, I kind of I feel like Gordon Cole brings out the best in people because you have to kind of think several steps ahead. Because you have to anticipate that Gordon might not be fully on board or he might not understand or he might need an extra direction. And so it kind of makes you think quicker on your feet or something. It's like, I kind of wonder if Gordon Cole uses it as a tactic to be like a better FBI director or something. I don't know. But I guess he's not director. Spoiler. I don't know. He's a supervisor. Whatever. He's a supervisor. Yeah. 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 Whatever he is. He's in the FBI. We'll just put it that way. He's high up there. Yeah. So... But yeah, and obviously this is also the the part where he says the Vicuna coat. And then, but the way that Harry's like, Vicuna? Yeah. Now, Mm -hmm. this could be read two ways. One, is he familiar with the Vicuna coat in any way at all? Like, does he know what this is? Has he seen one before? Or is he like, what the hell is a Vicuna coat? Right. It could be real. Is he both thinking ways. back to uh, the time at the vet's office? <laughs> it's true. Was there a vicuna in the vicinity there? Right. We'll He's never like, never know. At first, I thought maybe it was alpaca, then llama. Was it vicuna? I, I'm rethinking, you know. <laughs> Where's Bob Lidecker when you need him? Oh, <laughs> And then Hawk does, he has found the one armed man, and the one armed man has no idea why he is being brought back into custody at the sheriff's department. He's just a man trying to shell, sell shoes here. Shoe, 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 sell shoes here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Really weird stuff. <laughs> really weird stuff. Ben visits Audrey and puts on a caring show, but Audrey isn't having it, and Cooper has a front row seat to the horn dysfunction. So, oof. The looks they, between Audrey and Cooper. Wow. Yeah. So good. So good. So good. And then the interaction between Audrey and her father, it it is just so good because it makes me want to scream to Ben, you have underestimated her so much. Yes. You have no idea who you are messing with. And I love every bit of it because she will blow your shit right out of the water. You know, like... She is a product of you. She actually, in some weird way, is 
is Ben Horn repersonified in some way, right? Like she knows all the tricks. She knows what to do to get what she wants. The same as him. I'm Audrey Horn. I get what I want. But I just love how he just continues to underestimate her and think that he can somehow maybe um, intimidate her into keeping her mouth shut about what she mm-hmm. may know about One-Eyed Jacks. I just love it. And then Cooper, him just watching the whole time, which is just... And just still shaking like, his head and like muttering to himself. It. And yeah. 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 Oh, and this so is good. a moment when I think Audrey blends that vulnerability with her sense of uh, confidence and empowerment really nicely because she's not, she is still kind of quiet and small. And she's using the word daddy, which I always feel kind of infantilizes women a little bit. But but she's still so much in control of herself and saying, I know a lot of things, daddy. I've seen a lot of things, okay? And she's not backing down. And I lo- like this scene to me was, I wish there was more of that in the earlier scene because this is where I feel like, oh, this is Audrey. This is so yeah. Audrey right now. And I do agree that Ben, I think, is underestimating Audrey, but I think that he is still playing the game and possibly coming to realize that, Audrey is no fucking joke because he won't let them go home in the car together, right? He's like, oh, well, why don't we all go together? And it's like, all right, you're catching on. Yeah. Well, Nadine's been shopping, y'all. And she she is home and ready to get it on with Big Ed. Oh, my God. (laughs) This scene is so silly and so fun. I love it so much. But I I, I just, I love this journey for Nadine, but I feel bad for Ed, especially because of that punch. (laughs) Listen, she is, okay, I'm not going to continue to do this every time. Y'all know my stance on Nadine. She's my all-time favorite. I love her. If if she was a real person, I would find her and I would move next door to her and I would be her best friend forever. (laughs) Like, whatever it is about Nadine, I am the first in line to buy it. I love every bit of it. What I also love is the fact that Ed is trying to go along with what's happening with Nadine, but he's also sort of having to play Nadine's uh, previous role in the house. Like, I love how he has on, like, that frilly apron. Like, he's been trying to cook or whatever. And she's like, oh, can you believe I got this dress in? You know, it's just so... It even looked twice when I used the charge card. (laughs) No, it's so hilarious. And just the way he looks at her, like, oh, God. Like, what am I going to do here? You know, it's like, how long am I going to have to put up with this? And... It's going to be a while. And but I you're love right. It. He's being a good sport, though. He's like yeah. he's smiling. He's like having fun interacting with her. And when she's like, we should pretend to be married. He's like, well, we could do that. And I think things just turn south when he gets that. I mean, I think she punches him right in the goods. Right. Oh, yeah. I said she I wrote in my notes that she punches guts out. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think she punched his little big head. She wants to go to the lake and neck, and then she punches him in his dick. (laughs) (laughs) There There you go, folks. Pretty straightforward. (laughs) We can stay right here. (laughs) I love it. Oh, my God. And just her, it's just everything. I mean, her saying we can go park and neck. I don't know. There's just... (laughs) I just love it. Yeah. I love it. I'm sorry. There, I mean, I hate to, like, be a downer. There is something a little sad about her saying, let's pretend to be married. And I don't know why it strikes mm. me as sad. Like, is it because, I don't know, obviously Nadine that we first met is still somewhere in there. 
And maybe that's why. I don't know. But something about it struck me as like a little bittersweet. Well, it kind of gets me in my feels because I get sort of meta with it by thinking like, well, pretending to be married to each other when he's really still pining so much after Norma. Like maybe you know that's I mean? how she like, felt anyway. Right. Like yeah. it was just a pretend, a, like a, a pretend marriage that they yeah. were in. And yeah. He, by name only when his heart really actually belongs to Norma, which is so sad. Oh, I think that's what it is. Yeah. Oh, oh. but Nadine's having fun. Like so whatever. Yeah. She's buying dresses. She's going to go to cheerleading tryouts. She's going to fuck her husband. <laughs> she's going to punch his dick in. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he's going to be able to perform for a little bit, but. He needs some water. <laughs> okay. He might need some ice. Oh, my God. I love it. Well, Josie's been doing naughty things when she's told it's time to leave Seattle to Hong Kong. And if she doesn't get it together, Harry's going to pay the price, you hear? So I don't think they're cousins. Um, <laughs> not. I don't know what about this scene gave me that feeling, but I'm starting to believe they're not related. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Something to think about. I don't know if it was him buckling his pants up or that she was laying with her dress on. Something just. Yeah, something feels very familial. Yeah, just something's not adding up. (laughs) But yeah, he does threaten her like, you're leaving town, okay? And I will kill the sheriff, this Harry that you are in love with. Like, he will pay the price if you do not comply. She doesn't have the money yet, though. I mean, she's still waiting for the payout from all that's happened with the meal. Yeah, I find Josie, like, she just continues to be really hard to read. I can never understand kind of what side she's playing. But I find that both really intriguing and really frustrating because it, it like, it makes me want to know more about her and about, like, what's her past? What is her ultimate goal here? But I also don't really care because, like I said at the top, like, I want more Log Lady. I want more Giant. I want more weirdness, you know, and Josie doesn't really fit into that category. But I I do feel for her in this moment. I don't think that uh, whatever has just conspired between the, these two people was super consensual. But then she makes the comment about how she's waited for this for five years. And you're like, OK, what does that mean for you and your husband? What does that mean for you and Harry? And I mean, go ahead, girl. But again, yeah. super confusing and intriguing. So, yeah. Really makes me wonder, what is shenanigans? Yeah. That was my sex in the city moment. Exactly, there. yeah. <laughs> James meets Maddie at the lake where they say their goodbyes. He confesses that he felt something between them, but in true James form, he really isn't sure what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the scenery is really pretty in this Beautiful. Scene, but- Beautiful. And mm-hmm. I also was wondering, is she watching Pete fish? Like all anytime. I know I wanted to know who was out there. Yes. I'm like, Pete's fishing. Look yeah. at Pete fishing out there. You go, Pete. But yeah, and then James, like they they do have a nice little talk in Maddie's. Listen, she's been here, like Laura's buried. It's just time for her to get on her way. You know, she's already been involved in a couple of, uh, you know, crimes so far. So, <laughs> you know, she's wearing she's her welcome out. Yeah, she's good. Um, one thing I have to say, I, I don't know if I owe an apology, if it's my mistake. I've been saying for the longest time that I did not think that she and Laura were close. But then she says in the scene that her and Laura were so close. And I was like, I 
Okay. I am still so confused about the relationship between Maddie and Laura. So I think it was episode six of season one. I think. I think we had uh, Michael and Dave from the center cut. And there's the scene where they first meet Maddie. James and Donna first meet Maddie. She leaves her cherry Coke untouched. And she's talking about how I didn't really know Laura that well. And then she's like, I knew Laura really well or something like that. Like she says those really confusing pieces of dialogue together. But it's like she didn't have a super close relationship, but she felt like she knew this person really, really well. In this scene, she's talking about when they were kids. So I did. I was kind of okay with that because, you know, I was close with cousins when I was kids and we've grown apart um, and I'm not close with them now. So we had different relationships. So that's not. But it, there, she does keep saying these conflicting things yeah. about Laura. Like two episodes ago or whatever, she was saying to Leland, she didn't ask for this. She didn't want to be compared to Laura. Now she really liked stepping into the role of Laura. Uh, she could hear Laura's thoughts. And I don't know if that's still a thing that's going on or if that was a thing from when they were kids. Their relationship is very confusing. And it's interesting to sort of juxtapose this with the Josie stuff because this I find just intriguing and not and confusing yes but like I'm actually interested in it and it makes me want to understand the Maddie Laura relationship even more because like they're they're having this weird teen romantic like sappy scene and then she says things like I could hear her thoughts and to me that's such a big moment amongst this like sappiness right so I don't know. I don't have an answer for you, basically, but those are my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and it makes sense, but it just, uh, for, uh, I also, oftentimes I think that I am an amateur sleuth, but then in moments like this, I'm like, <laughs> you haven't really been paying attention to what's going on. So just call me uh, the new Andy. I'll be the Andy of the damn fine duo because it's like, I got it. That's no, cute. I, don't. I like it. <laughs> But you I haven't been I, listening to anything I've been saying, have you? No, but you're not sorry. wrong, though, because she does keep saying these conflicting things that, yeah, I don't know. It's like a it's like a weird dreamlike relationship. Now, I do sort of remember hearing about this, and I didn't want to put it in the damn fine facts because I wasn't 100% sure. I don't remember if I saw it on Reddit or if I heard it on another podcast, but I think that there is a deleted part of this scene where Maddie talks about her mother and Sarah also having a similar connection, which is super cool if that's the case. And we all know that Sarah's got something. She's She's had two visions so far. two visions. Don't you let her tell you one. There's been two. But anyway, she tells jo- uh, she tells James that he and Donna belong together, and then they have a nice little cheap kiss, and and then James is kind of just left there to to ponder his thoughts, I suppose, <laughs> or what, He's, or listen listen to the marbles roll around in his head, whatever's going on. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He's trying to figure out how he can make his heart like the way that it feels now, how he can make it feel that way forever. That's what he's trying to figure out. Another Uh, ridiculously sappy four cheese dip line. Uh, Another thing that I think might've gotten me as a teenage girl, there is something very sweet to it, but it's, you know, it's James. He's sweet, but he's so dumb. Like it's, it's the epitome of that line from Laura. Did you feel like Donna was going to roll up as soon as Maddie Gave him that kiss on the cheek. I was like, here we fucking go again. <laughs> she's going to jump out of that fucking van and she's going to yeah. beat their asses. 
We just fucking talked about this. We just talked about it. You need another knuckle sandwich, James. <laughs> tell that to James. <laughs> you know what? Fuck it. I'll tell him myself. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, this is great. But it was a pretty scene. It felt a little like Vaseline filter, filtery, but I, th- I thought it looked nice. Whatever. I'm going to yeah. miss Maddie. She's a bit of a mess, but I love her. Yeah, well, I'm going to miss her, too, because, I mean, she has really been their sidekick yeah. since Laura died. Yeah. And she's been in so many important scenes and so many important things that have happened since yeah. then. That Yeah, we're going to we're going to miss you, Maddie. Yeah. Josie confronts Ben about the money and bitch, she ain't playing around in a game of who could out blackmail who. Ben gives Josie the five mil from Mr. Tojimura. So This is like a dick measuring contest, but with yes. keys. With keys. It's a key measuring contest. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You got that little key, Ben, to a little... actually pulls out a bigger yeah. key. It's so yeah. good. You got that little key to that little safe, oh. Ben. Guess what I've got? I got this big key to the safety deposit box. And she's just like, thwomp. <laughs> <laughs> and she just plops it out and says, what now, bitch? Come Give me my me. money. Come at me. <laughs> You know, for two characters that I could care less about, this is a fantastic scene. They play off each other so well. The closer that their faces get to one another, the the like sillier and more maniacal that they get. It is so good. And Josie's line about they'll bury us side by side. And then she has that <laughs> laugh. It's so good. I loved this scene. I watched it like, I swear to you, three or four times because I was yes. like, okay, this is, oh, it's that what you got? You bought a knife to a gun match? Let me show you what I have. You know, it was great. Two snaps. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the Josie that I like. Like, this is the yes. Josie that I like to see. I like powerful you're not going to, you know, walk over me. You're not going to push me to the side. Like, I can play your game if the same as you, if not better, which yeah. in this case, she played it better. Mm-hmm. But did she? Because she got this yeah. money. Yeah. Because she got this money from someone that um, is not, I do not think that they are ever going to own Ghostwood because it's already been bought. Ghostwood's so like, been bought. I feel yeah. like this check is shady. I don't know that it's going to go down in a bank very well. Also, Josie wanted cash. She kept saying that. So she did kind of take an L with taking a check. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. But let's just not forget the importance that Josie's key was bigger. Okay. Like that's what we're taking out of this. At the end of the day, she won. At least that part. Leo's the lifeless of the party while Bobby and (laughs) Shelly have themselves a real damn good time. But once things get hot and heavy, Leo spooks Shelly and playtime is over. Ooh, <laughs> I love this scene. <laughs> I love this scene so much. It is so good. I have so much to say about it. It is, oh. it's, it's iconic, first of all. I mean, the screenshots from this episode get used all the time. It's so, so great. That was a, an amazing description of what happens oh, here. Thank you. Thank I, you. I just like to think about, like, what, how, how they got here. Like, Last we saw, they were frustrated about the money. They were fighting. They were trying to figure out how Shelly's going to make this work. 
And then, so what, what is their day like? They're, they're fighting about this. Then they're like, you know what? We need a break. Let's get some booze. Let's have a drink, whatever. They get a couple of drinks into them, get a little silly. They're like, fuck it. Let's get streamers. Let's get cake. Let's have a fucking party because we might as well celebrate, you know, like what else are we going to do? If we don't laugh, we're going to cry. Right. So that's how they get here in my head anyway. <laughs> I like that. That's exactly right. They're just like, they're so they're so cute together. These two actors are so good together. Whatever they're doing, I buy it. Like, I just buy everything that they, when they're fighting, when they're, you know, hooking up, when they're laughing and being silly with Leo, it's just everything between the two of them works so well. You know, this like big speech that Bobby is doing and the way that Shelly will just like chime in on words here and there. The flow is so perfect. They're having so much fun and it just translates right across. It's amazing. It's so good. I mean, honestly, like, I live for Bobby and Shelly scenes. I really do. Like, and I don't care what it's involving. If it is involving Leo breathing into a kazoo, (laughs) or if they're parked in the Majors Continental, you know, getting it on, I just, I just love it. I buy it, like, 100%. Give me the money. I will buy it. Yep. And I want it forever. It's just great. It's great stuff. But I do have, I do have in my notes, it's, <laughs> it's the Leo blowing a kazoo and the hat snapping for me. I mean, it's just like the way that they're treating Leo. Yeah. I, I mean, he deserves, actually he deserves worse than this. He does. Everything that he's yeah. done. But if this is what we're having to deal with, I love it. And all I could think of was, ouch, if he has any feeling in him. When you snap one of those like dollar store yeah. band uh party hat bands on you, it hurts because it does. listen, I went to birthday parties when in the eighties, okay? And that's what every birthday party <laughs> had those fucking hats. Yeah. And every time your mama was like, Come here, let me put the hat on you, no, there was no care or fucks given when that hat was being put on you, you were getting snapped with that mm-hmm. band. Okay. Yes. And because it, it was hurt. like a conveyor belt. I was like, let me put all these fucking hats on these stupid kids. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Get your loot bags. Get the fuck out of my house. All right. Great. <laughs> Here's your, throw you, get you like a slice of pizza and cake on the way yep. out. Goodbye. Just throwing them on over. the plates. Like, there you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I love this bit. I love this image I have in my mind right now. It's great. Oh my gosh. But yeah. And of course, I was super into Bobby and Shelly kind of like, you know, getting getting it on in front of Leo. I was like, well, first of all, I was like, cringe. I don't know if that's a choice I would have made, but I sure let them have their fun. But I did get scared. I'm not going to lie. I did jump and say, I gasped. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When it was like he was moving towards Shelly, like I would have been like, let's not do this here either. No, and that's what I meant before, too, where they keep the stakes level or they keep raising them or whatever, but they keep this thing real that Leo is still very much a threat. And I think it cuts the, well, it cuts the, I don't know, it cuts through something really nicely. Like, it just brings reality back to these two people, I think. Mm -hmm. And I agree. Like, I I think Leo deserves worse. And at first, when Bobby and Shelly are kind of, you know, uh, rolling back a little bit and they're like, we're really sorry, Leo. Like, don't want to make your rehabilitation. I was like, why are you being like this, though? And then the more I sat with it, I was like, they feel ashamed because they're good people. And in that moment, you probably would feel shameful for acting like that, even though Leo is a total dickbag monster. When you're a good person, you're capable of feeling shame in those moments. And 
I really like that they showed that with these two people because it's really easy for both Bobby and Shelly to just laugh about things that normal people wouldn't laugh about, I don't think. Like, mm-hmm. let's think back to Shelly uh, at the double R imitating what Leland was doing on the casket, which felt very non-feeling in a way. Yeah. But whatever, they have the capacity to feel shame, and I think that's good. And yet they're still able to laugh off the situation afterwards. And I love that you brought up the Majors Continental because in that scene, I was like, I don't know. I think these two are just too different. They have different views on life. They're at different stages. They might not be able to make this work. But I'm like, in this moment, I think they can make it work. Like, if you can laugh about that, I think you can find common ground. I think they're a really great couple. Yeah. Oh, I know. I agree. Uh Great scene, so much fun. So fun, so fun. Cole and Cooper are reunited and Cole lets Cooper know that he's given off major small chihuahua vibes. (laughs) Cole is worried about Coop and Coop receives a coded message containing a chess move from Wyndham Earl. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. You're reminding me of a small Mexican chihuahua. It's chihuahua. Chihuahua. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think has to be code. It has to. Right. What does that mean? I know. I I want to know so badly. But yeah. I love how Coop knows that he's just there. He just. Gordon Cole. It's such a good scene. This is another basic thing, like my love for consequences in a storyline. But when two characters just immediately have so much history between each other, things come alive. Things feel real. Their dynamic is so nice. Yeah, I love when you can feel it just so effortlessly between two people. We felt it in their phone call in season one. You feel it more vibrantly here. And I think it probably helps that David Lynch and Kyle MacLachlan are actually friends. So part of that is really coming into everything. But it's a beautiful friendship right off the bat. I can't get enough of the two of them. I also love the the two thumbs up between the two of them. It's like one of my favorite. Oh, uh, like Iconic. Image or GIF. I use it for everything. Yes. Like, it like way is too always, often. <laughs> way too often in inappropriate context. You know, somebody's giving me bad news. I'm like, I'm <sighs> nervous. <laughs> I'm nervously laughing. Like, ah, ha, ha, thumbs up. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. <laughs> That is like the third almost spit take in this episode. <laughs> it is. It's like, here's a thumbs up for you. Good luck with that. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't have time. Uh, <laughs> I don't have time for this. These shenanigans right now. I do love that he wants to talk to, <laughs> he wants to talk to Cooper in private, but there is absolutely no privacy. And I mean, he, you know, Harry's like, just so you know, we can hear everything that's going on. They're like, well, just come in the office then. Fine. You know, it's like everybody can hear everything because you're yelling. Cole, and I, so. think, I think Cole has to know that. Yeah, how can he not? He has I, to. I, and so this is what I mean. I think that he uses it to his advantage in certain ways. And I don't think there's anything devious about that. I think he's, I think it's more calculated than it might seem on the surface. Well, he does have a talk with Cooper about that he's worried about him. Hey, you know, in Pittsburgh, these things happened and I saw you kind of get down, you know, and Coop reassures him that he's A-OK. And then, so basically the note is uh, P2K4 is what's on the letter. It's typed on there and it is a chess move. 
And they, Cooper says it has to be Wyndham Earl. And I knew that there was good. I knew that there was going to be chess involved just from, you know, this being a rewatch for me. But I also have to shout out that I knew the move because I watched the Queen's Gambit. Okay, that's so funny because I was like, I should know what this is. But I'm looking it up right now as you say that. I was like, I'm sure P means pawn and probably K means knight. But yeah. Yeah, But I was like, oh, P to K4. I know that. Queen's Gambit. That's so funny. (laughs) Anyways, Ben schemes with Leland on the Ghostwood project, but all Leland's really interested in is the finery of white fur. I just I just made this connection. He's getting a hair sample because he wants to go to his stylist and say, can you get my hair this color white? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So Ben does welcome Leland back. Jerry's off in Iceland taking care of the the business there. So he really needs a right-hand man right now. And, well, Leland's kind of the only one left to pick from, I guess. Um, Leland's very reassuring that he's up to the task. He does give him a plan on how to get this transaction settled. You resurvey the land, launder the money. You know, I wrote, that's my Leland. He's back into the spirit of things. You know, he's out on bail and he's ready to... <laughs> what are you looking at? Because <laughs> he's so... I I, I think you're just quoting what Ben said. But at first when you're like, that's my Leland, I was like, what? This bitch, what? What do you mean that's your Leland? Because for me, yeah. this scene is like, oh, we're not supposed to like Leland. He's not a good person. And we should have known. I mean, even though he did murder somebody, but like, I think you can look at a little bit of a gray area. He was getting vengeance for his daughter, blah, blah, blah. But we should have known that he's not completely on the level. He works for Ben and Jerry, right? We should have known that he was this sleazy type lawyer, but it's plain now. It's, It's very obvious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was quoting Ben. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's it, not it came to me Leland. a second later, but I was like, <laughs> Oh, gosh. The looks. The the gall. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. Ben's, like, really into it. But there's also... It, it's like, obviously, Leland's not all there because he is taking a first sample, yeah. like we were talking about. So, it's just like, yeah. what the fuck? What are you doing? I don't know. It's tomfoolery. And then there's, like, another weird physical interaction with Ben trying to hug somebody again, but it not being a hug, but it being a weird, like, arm tap. I don't know. Like, Ben is so awkward in his physical interactions. I think I missed another one when he was uh, first seeing Audrey. He's very awkward in that moment, too. It's like he doesn't know where to put his hands or if he should hug his daughter or what to do. Yeah, he's so—yeah, he's just so uncomfortable in those moments. Yeah, well, it's it would be him trying to show some sort of like human vulnerability right. or like emotion, and yes. he doesn't know how to do that. Yeah, because it, he's like patting the top of the covers with Audrey, almost like you would like pat a little baby to sleep or something. Right. You know, like oh, okay, yeah, or whatever. I, yeah, it, he's just ugh, he's awful anyway. Things come to a head with Harry and Josie. Harry begs her not to leave, but she's got her mind made up and Harry's heart is broken. Do not like you. Fuck you, Josie. (laughs) (laughs) I I do feel very bad for Harry. In this moment, I kind of do feel like Harry's sweet, but he's so dumb. I still feel for him far more than I've ever felt for James. I do, like, again, I don't know how to read Josie, but I kind of wonder, like, did they ever have a real relationship? I don't know. Like, I don't, 
I think it's very one-sided, if anything. Absolutely. And that's why I uttered those words there a moment ago, because it's like Harry is watching her. She's just leaving. And it's like, and he he tries, like he tells her he loves her twice. And she's just like, whatever, eat shit. Like, that's how I felt like the scene was going where she was like, okay, well, she's got her money as, or so she thinks, and she's getting out of here. And it's unclear whether or not she really wants to go. I mean, she's very wishy-washy to me sometimes. Yeah. Like, I can't read her face. I, like, You know, it's hard for me to judge by, like, facial and body expressions with her. Like, is she just saying this? But, like, deep down, she doesn't want to leave. But it just felt like in that moment that she was like, okay, well, catch you on the other side, Harry. Bye. You know, and I don't like, uh, I just don't like it because you could just see Harry's heart breaking and I just uh, especially after she so wildly seduced him not too long ago yes yeah it's another one of those moments where you just feel like he's being taken advantage of and Harry is the character that we know better and whatever but as you were saying that I was thinking about that Simpsons episode where they slow down the footage of Ralph and they're like you can see the exact moment that his heart was breaking (laughs) that that was the Valentine episode, right? Yes, Where I yeah. choose, choose, I choose, choose, you. choose you. <laughs> oh, I was so young when I watched that. And even I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> Get so this sad. Poor t- Ralph. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Harry was pretty much a Ralph in this moment. He really was, was so though. What do you think she meant when she said, I always called you from here? Does she mean she's just calling from that house? Because she takes Harry's hand and sort of like puts it on her chest. And I was like, is this a moment of real vulnerability where Josie is saying like, I called you from my heart, from my actual heart, like speaking through my heart, speaking my actual emotions. It adds another layer of not understanding where Josie is really coming from. But I was like, is that what? Because the hand movement is very purposeful, I felt. But it could just be them holding hands again, like. No, I'm I'm kind of liking you explaining it that way because well, which frustrates me even more though because I don't know how to read Josie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. do you love Harry or not? Are you caught up in something that you're so over your head in that it's like you just have to do what you're being told and and get on with it? But then you see that side of her like the dick measuring in Ben's office. And right. It's just like how can this be the same person? You know, yeah. like. But I will, okay, I will calm myself down with the thought that maybe she did have Harry in her heart somewhere, but it was a very small fraction of everything else that she needed to accomplish or wanted to accomplish. I agree. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, (laughs) I don't know what's going on here, but Ben's attempting to romance Tashimara when Leland strikes again after a wonderful rendition of getting to know you, which is how appropriate for this scene, right? Pete tries to talk up Tojimara with sake and ice cold milk. Poor sweet Pete. <laughs> yep. So my notes, I shared them on the damn fine Instagram stories. It just says, skip it into Leland because I fucking can't. Yeah. So... Whatever you want Let's to say talk about, about Leland. Taji, Let's that's talk great, about Leland. I got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, whatever about what's going on with Tajimara. Don't care. What I do love <laughs> is that, okay, 
that Lilith's, like we just talked about, there's still something kooky about him with the fur pulling, right? And then yes. here he goes into the damn dining room once again. This time he's not dancing like a fool. He's just serenading the room. Ben goes up there to try to shoo Leland off, but then it somehow turns into a duet, which, okay. Listen, the crowd loves it. They They are enjoying it. This is good for business. As much as I dislike both Leland and Ben, they should fucking get a show on the go, do it, you know, a couple nights at Great Northern. I don't don't see what the issue is. Everybody's loving it. Ben's the only one who doesn't like it. It's I suppose it's embarrassing to Ben because Ben feels that way. But I mean, if you're if the people are eating it up, give them some entertainment while they're having dinner right here in Twin Peaks, right here from Twin Peaks, everybody. Great Northern (laughs) audiences are the greatest audiences in the world. (laughs) He's such a ham. He'll love it. But I will talk about Pete and Tajamora just because it is just Pete. I love him. God bless him. But he just, you're not from around here, are you? Well, <laughs> no. Okay. And then he's like, do you want some sake? No. Okay. Do you want some ice cold milk? Leave me alone. Like, <laughs> May I interest you in a chicken that oozes? <laughs> <laughs> I love Pete so much, but did look so, he is such a, Jack Nance is such a wonderful face actor. And it's just like, yes, he's so confused at what's going on. And it translates out of his face so the much. Eyebrows he's like, and, it's the eyebrows yeah, and the yeah. eyes. And he's just like, man, this is a tough cookie to break over here. Not even milk. I mean, what's going on with this yeah. person? Who are you? You know? <laughs> he is trying to be so sweet and welcoming. I appreciate Pete for that, for sure. But I yeah. literally wrote no further comment. <laughs> okay, well, we'll move right along then. The crew questions Philip and withhold his meds so his ultra personality will come out. Mike appears and provides them with background on Bob and also, where's Bob at currently? Okay. Mm. This is like info dump, but make it weird. Yeah, this, I, my heart was pounding. Oh, yeah. Every, I had such a reaction to this. I was so into it. It was thrilling. The look on Cooper's face, the look on Gordon's face. It's just, but mainly on Cooper's face because he's like, he's going to get there. He's going to tell me everything I need to know. You know, Harry wants to give him the meds, but no meds, no meds. You know, it's just, oh my gosh. So again, he he needs the help of doll. (laughs) (laughs) Supposedly keep what they're thinking is schizophrenia at bay. Cooper is doubtful of that. And he wants to see who comes out when he doesn't have his meds. And boy, oh boy, this whole, everything that happens with Mike, and I'm using quotes here because that's who comes out. Just, I've got the chili bumps mm-hmm. right now. Al Strobel the, is so good. Wow, wow. I love, the, obviously, the change in voice, and mm-hmm. it's intriguing, and I couldn't imagine, like, being in that interrogation room in that moment while this person, this other person emerges from someone, right? And and then just Bob info dump, if you ever wanted one, it was everything. I, I, I am Mike. I am an inhabiting spirit. You know, I saw God, and he purified me. You know, unfortunately, I had to take this guy's arm off, but <laughs> let's talk about Bob. <laughs> it's no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. Don't worry about that. Bob's also like this. Um, oh, God. Bob is eager for fun. He wears a smile. Everybody run. Ugh, that. Great line. Ooh, Great line. So good. He he does the fire walk with me. And I'm just going to say it because I want to. Fuck it. 
Through the darkness, the future past, the magician longs to see. One chance out between two worlds. Fire, Fire walk, walk with, with me. me. Oh, gosh. It's really good. I want to talk about it more in the spoiler section for sure. Yeah. But yeah, him yeah. and Cooper doing it together is really powerful. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. I loved it. So, anyway, few can see Bob's true face, only the gifted and the damned, which is actually pretty scary because, I mean, immediately I thought of Sarah. Is right. she gifted or yes. is she damned? Yes. Because she can see him. Um, Laura obviously saw him and I'm she's damned. Right. Right. Because I mean she's gone. So yeesh. Um But and Ronette then, and Cooper as well. Oh, that's right. Well, Co- has Cooper seen him? In in the dream, right? Oh, that's right. Oh my gosh. And then Duh. Leland. So we're yeah, for sure. You're thinking about all these people. Are they gifted? Are they damned? Yeah. True. I really was only thinking about Laura and Sarah, though, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's Again, d- Detective Melandy is on the case. Melandy. <laughs> um, anyway, so for 40 years or so, he's at a he's he's been around and where is Bob? Where is he now? Oh my God. He's in a large house made of wood, surrounded by trees filled with many rooms, each alike, but occupied by different souls night after night. It is the Great Northern! So good. It's such a good clue. Oh, I love this scene so much. Like I said, Al Strobel is so good. There's something about this that when we covered episode five of season one, The One-Armed Man, the interaction there felt very strange in a purposeful way. This almost gives me closure from that scene, and I can't really explain why, but there's something about seeing the transformation. Even though we did see it in the washroom stall a couple weeks ago, uh, there's something about this one with all the information coming out that just makes that feel complete. I really enjoyed that. And the comment about when Bob smiles, everybody runs. How haunting to think about a smile, a thing that is joyful and happy, being so terrifying, being so haunting. And we've seen Bob smile so that we can attest that it absolutely is a terrifying thing, a chilling thing that you do run from. What a great way to end an episode. Just with that like really haunting shot too of the Great Northern with all oh. this, the smoke rising from, or not even, is it smoke? I don't know. Just all that. Smoke, fog, yeah, smoke whatever rise, it fog is. Fog rising yeah. from the waterfall. Yeah. Oh, so creepy and so good. Leland can, he's seen Bob before. Right. And Mike then says, obviously that Bob is at the Great Northern. So can Leland in some way like feel the spirit around and then that's when he acts kooky? Like, is it because like you just said, I mean, there are, you know, like would Sarah be if we were looking at Sarah instead of Leland, for example, would we see a different change in behavior in Sarah if the spirit was somehow near in the Palmer house or something? Right. In some capacity. So I immediately just thought of Okay, that Bob's spirit is, well, it is at the Great Northern, but it is it somehow stalking or around Leland at this moment? Is that why Leland is acting so crazy? Gotcha. Uh, that makes so much sense. And it's like, you know, if they had had this interview or this interrogation with Mike a few days ago, would they have said he's at the Hayward house? And, right. And, you know, right. we forgot about somebody else that's seen Bob, which is Maddie. Uh, oh, that's right. So, and like, you know, 
I don't know. Maddie didn't really act strange. She, I mean, she freaked out, which was totally understandable. But yeah, that's a that's a really great take. I love that. It's just, it kind of clicked with me at the end of the episode yeah. where I was like, but that's where, okay, so what's happening right now at the Great Northern? Well, Leland's acting like a fucking nut right now at the Great right. Northern. Yeah. And it seems to be that this Bob spirit is somehow stalking, like, Palmer people because, true, you know, like... True, true. Because mainly the folks outside of Cooper, from what I can tell, that have are able to see Bob has been someone related to Laura and the Palmer family. Yes, or some... Or Ronette, who was there that well, night. Well, yeah, true, right. And, and it, Cooper, who we know is a kind of different kind of figure, but yeah. Right. Wow, yeah. I love that. That's great. Okay, well, yeah, I guess that's it for the episode proper. I am super excited for this week's spoiler slash connection section. Uh, Anyone that's not joining us over there, thank you so much for listening. We will see you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. What does Bob want? He is Bob. Eager for fun. He wears a smile. Everybody run. Okay, right off the bat, I want to say this. I have to say this. I've been dying to say this. Say it, say it, say it. A smile that makes you run. All I could think of was Sarah in the return when she takes her face off and it is nothing but a smile under her face. Yes. Thank you, thank you. Good catch. That's a good one. I mean, that image I think will forever stay in my memory. I mean, it's a smile that kills you, actually, but... (laughs) You know. Actually. I mean, the warning was to run. I mean, do you yeah. really want to fuck with this? But yeah, he didn't heed the warning. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, and then, yeah. So you tell me what you have for spoilers and then okay. we'll. I, I got a whole list here. Okay, let's go. Okay, so Coop talking about this isn't the first time my actions have caused suffering for somebody I care about. Of course, it makes me think about Caroline. It makes me think about Annie. It also makes me think about Diane and maybe even Laura or Carrie Page. And, you know, without going too far into it, because this is obviously something that we're going to do once we get to the end of the return, but this is one of the ways that I think there's evidence for whatever happens at the end of the return is bad news bears. And Cooper did not do a great job. He's constantly interfering. Yeah. Which I should say is not my chosen theory, but it's one that I still subscribe to regardless, so. Yep, yep. I mean, Cooper's, his mind is in the right place, but it's always producing very bad outcomes. Right, yeah. And I I love that it's built in so early on that he does do these things that do have consequences. And that's why I was also like, I like, I I just love consequences. It makes it feel so much more real and it really has long-lasting effects on this series as a whole. For sure, for sure. All right, the insurance rep telling Shelly and Bobby to childproof the sockets. I disagree. You never know when you'll have to travel between realms and dimensions through a socket, so you better just leave them. Absolutely. I had the same thing. I was like, no, don't cover the electrical Mm -mm. sockets. Are you crazy? You just never know. Some of the best things come out of electrical sockets, people. That's right. Uh, sticking with Shelly and Leo and Bobby stuff, there's this very ritualistic feeling to Leo's party. I kind of feel that with any party scene we might see or anything where there's like a 
I don't know. Any Anytime there's like a cake involved or like dressing up your house, it just feels like, I mean, that's what people do when they're doing ritual. Like they have food as sacrifice. They dress things up. They get dressed up. There's booze involved, whatever. But this one in particular, there's something about like sex magic in Twin Peaks. And it really started reminding me of Sam and Tracy. Now, Shelly and Bobby are, of course, a much they're they're not naked. They're not having sex. Maybe they are, but they're it's not explicit, I should say. Right. It's definitely not as explicit. But whatever they're doing does seem to awaken something in Leo. So Yep. Yep. I love that. All right. We already kind of alluded to this, but the Mexican Chihuahua, uh, very similar to my mother's sister's girl from Firewalk with me. So it's gotta yeah. be code. It has to be. I mean, it has to be, but but it's weird because in the moment, Cooper is like, now let's get back to this chihuahua. And then yes. Gordon just kind of brushes him off, you know? So it's yes. like, well, is it code that Cooper understands? Because I don't even know if he does. And isn't that the moment where he's like, no, thanks. I've already eaten or something. Yes. But I'm like, but he knows that Harry and Hawk and them are all still listening. They, he knows that they can hear him. So this is not the time to right. talk about the small Mexican dog. But right. yeah. Okay, Leland taking the hair from the stuffed animal thing. I wonder if this was meant to throw people off a little bit about the Vicuna coat in some Ooh. way. Because it, it was like, oh, he's taking like a fur sample. Like, I don't know how that would really work. I haven't like worked out all the details there, but that's what it pinged for me in my head, so... Do you know what I just thought of? Mm. No, this is a real reach. I love um, it. Let's reach. Stretch but you know what? it and, out, girl. You know I love a good reach around. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's, because we know that you can make a doppelganger <gasps> with a piece of hair. I don't know if that's in any way, but it's just like, why would he be taking hair? Si- why would you need yeah. to make a doppelganger of like whatever the stuffed fox or whatever that was back no. there? But but it's, it's, it reminded me so much of that. Yes. Like you're you're using a hair sample to create something else. I don't know. I mean, if nothing else, it's just one of those like echoes. Yeah. yeah. It's a thing True. that makes you think of another thing <laughs> within the show. That makes like, you think of another thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the Firewalk With Me poem for a minute because in the captions and in the script... It says chance, C-H-A-N-C-E. But apparently there are interviews with both Al Strobel, who plays Mike slash Philip, and with David Lynch, or maybe with Mark Frost. I can't remember. Where they say specifically it's chance, C-H-A-N-T-S, as in chanting. Oh, okay. Uh, Excuse me, Hulu, again, there's a typo in your subtitles. Oh, they just spelled chance wrong? They just spelled it wrong. (laughs) Wow, way to add more confusion to the situation. At least on the show like Twin Peaks, get your shit together, okay? There's no room for that, yeah. I have always thought it was chants, like chanting. I did too, yeah. Okay. All right. That's all I really wanted to know was your thoughts on that. It makes more Mm -hmm. sense to me. I I kind of understand the chance angle. It's like you have this one chance or something and— you can kind of make that work, but I like the idea that you're between two worlds and you have to chant out this fire walk with me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any listeners that are here with us in the spoiler section, 
I'm assuming, I feel like, I don't know why, but I'm thinking of Agent Ivy and I feel like she probably knows. And I'm assuming that she listens to our spoiler section since she's seen everything. So maybe you know, maybe another listeners know. Get back at us. Let, let us Get know. back at yes. us. Get to us. Right to us. Get back at us. Send Get us a carrier us. pigeon with your thoughts. <laughs> okay, Leland being at the Great Northern in this moment, it's so perfect. It's it's not even a gotcha. The, like, the writing is not p- playing fast and loose with you. They literally ask, where is Bob now? Right. And that's where yep. he is. So, you know, there's not much more to say about that. I just really thought the writing was really good. It's such a good way to throw people off. And, I mean, we're going to find out next episode what the deal is. I am so excited for episode seven. We've got the guys from Center Cut coming back on to cover it with us. We asked them specifically for this episode because it's Dave's first time. I'm I'm nervous but excited to know what Dave thinks about all of this. Like, it's just, it's going to be a fun time. I, yes, I cannot wait for it. Oh, it's going to be so good. And I tried like in the regular episode to connect it, but without being spoilery yes. about it. Because yes. you know what I mean? So that's why I was like trying to say, I don't know if this spirit is stalking him, but mm-hmm. I mean, just to get your mind to start thinking up along the path of, well, yeah, okay, so who else is at the Great North? Kind of like with the Vicuna coat. With Harry. So is it because he has seen it on yes. Josie? Or is he just confused about who even could afford it? I might the two people in my mind would be Ben or I guess, you know, Josie at this point. Yeah, maybe Catherine. Maybe Catherine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I forgot to add that one here, but I it's like was that him being like, oh, Josie has a Vicuna coat? Or was it more like, so it was a giant? Like, how did his voice <laughs> sound? Was he super tall? Like, you know, one of those moments from Harry. Right. <laughs> That's all I got, though. I mean, I shouldn't say that like I said one thing, but. Oh, is that it? Oh, yeah. gosh. No, I'm just Sorry. kidding. <laughs> I pretty much got the same points. Actually, you had more than I did. I mean, the main thing for me was the Sierra with the smile. That's the main thing I've thought of. And then, obviously, to think about where, really, well, all I had was, I think it's genius how they laid out that connection of Bob and Leland without yeah. being very on point about it. Yeah. I, I loved it. So that's, and then the electrical sockets as well. I had that. Yeah, it's just such a good piece of writing because it's like, because I think it's going to lead most people to think it's Ben Horn. Right. Because that's who they associate with the Great Northern, right? For the most part. But yeah, he's... I mean, maybe maybe it even makes them think, like, is it this Tajamora character somehow? Oh, I mean, true. Pete's up there. But if they're, I, I think the first time through when I was watching it, I was like, but because I knew who it was. I had just been spoiled by being on the internet in my life. Yeah, so, yeah. So I knew what it was. And I was like, but wait a second. Like, that's not where Leland lives. And then I was like, ah, where now, he is now. now. Okay, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, if that's all for this week, we've got a party to plan. Have we got streamers? Check. Cake? Check. Booze? Check. And you know, what the hell? Kazoos! Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Damn Fine TV Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Come hang out with us on Instagram and Twitter at Damn Fine TV. You can find me on Instagram at damnfinewitch and Mel's at superficialmels. 
And if you're watching TV, make sure it's damn fine TV. Damn fine TV. I don't think that you can get too much Twin Peaks.